All right, welcome in episode 134 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Shadon, and we're going to get going today. But first, as always, Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah and our title sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Check them out in person, 3016 East Victory Drive, online, www.coaches.net. And call ahead your order at 912-352-2933. The best place to watch football this fall the best place to track the Braves as they head to the postseason. The TP going up next week. I'll be over at Coach's Corner uh, on Monday, uh, Monday, October 3rd, I believe, uh, just before they put the TP up. I'll be there recording Hot Grits Podcast live, um, so you can check all of that out on the Coach's Corner Facebook page, as well as the other Coach's Corner Sports Network shows, Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain, the NASCAR show, on Wednesday nights, Carl Demasi on Saturday mornings, the local sports show, and who is on first base baseball podcast, that's with Kyle Lawson and Carl Demasi as well. Check all of that out on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. Go to Coach's Corner, tell them the Hot Grits podcast sent you, and they will hook it up for you. Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah, and our title sponsor here on Hot Grits Podcast. All right, got a lot to get to today. Let's get after it for a 134th time. Hot Grits Podcast. I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking the heat or something. Yeah. Him right in the face. Punch a little baby right in. We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. All right, welcome back to the Hot Grits Podcast. A little later on Tuesday afternoon, this episode will be released. Uh, my birthday was on Monday, my 31st birthday, and so had some other priorities to get to. But of course, I'm going to bring you guys an HGP episode on Tuesday like we do every Tuesday. Um, got a lot of stuff today. We're going to talk Braves, obviously. Braves at the White House um, and Braves preparing for the Mets this weekend. Uh, college football, got a lot of stuff. Georgia, Georgia Southern, Savannah State. And even Georgia Tech this week. Georgia Tech in the news. Obviously, the only way Georgia Tech makes the news, the only way it makes an elite podcast like this, is when something really shitty happens. And that's what happened at Georgia Tech, so we'll talk about that. Um, Little NBA stuff, and then also NFL Week 3 action. And we'll close out the show with some high school football. High school football stuff. Schedule changes um, this week because of Hurricane Ian which is coming to town this weekend, it seems like. Uh, And actually, we'll start there. This is the time of year where we're going to get a bunch of weather experts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and everyone's an expert on whether the hurricane's coming here, whether uh, we need to prepare or not, whether it's bad or not. It's so annoying to, to, you know, see posts, like social media posts, from people or people arguing about it. It's like arguing about the weather is the most ridiculous thing ever. But the amateur uh, weathermen and weather women come out of the woodwork uh, this time of year. And so I'm preparing myself for that. 
There is no better time of year if you're uh, a meteorologist or if you're someone like Jim Cantori. Uh, these people treat hurricanes like the Super Bowl. And you can tell when you watch the Weather Channel. They're, they are stoked. Everyone else is, you know, somewhere between scared, annoyed, um, anxious, all these things that are usually negative. But no, not, not, not the Weather Channel. This is, their, this is where they make their money. This is where they make their mark. Um, and this is the only time of year that, you know, people tune in at a high clip to the Weather Channel. So they're going to milk this for all it's worth. Um, I've always thought that. Like, if they say that the hurricane is not something we need to monitor, it's not something we need to track, then that takes away from their bottom line. So, of course, of course, every day there has to be an update. The hurricane shifted one mile to the right. Now, now the winds have increased by eight miles per hour. Who cares about all that, man? Like, tell me a day before if it's going to rain the next day, and then I'm good. Tell me two days before if I need to evacuate, and then I'm good. I'm not going to prepare for 10 days for Hurricane Ian. What a weak hurricane name, too. Hurricane Ian. So that's my opening rant uh, <laughs> on the amateur meteorologist. Uh, let's talk Braves. You guys want to talk Braves? I want to talk Braves because they are coming down the stretch here one game back from the New York Mets. Uh, you know, what we've thought for the last month or two turning out to be true. It looks like it's going to come down to this final series with the Mets this weekend. Who knows if that will, will be, you know, rescheduled, adjusted in some way because of, the, because of the weather coming in. Don't know if you guys heard there's a hurricane coming. There's a hurricane coming. I don't know what the Braves and Mets would do. They're both off on Thursday. They're both off on Thursday, so maybe, you know, maybe that's something. Maybe you could play a day-night doubleheader on Sunday because the Braves and Mets are already on Sunday night baseball this weekend. So, like... I don't, I don't know what the plan would be, but I'm sure that they, I don't think they would push it to beyond the 162nd game. So the, the Braves closed the season with the Marlins. I don't think that, I don't think that they would like play that series and then make up any games against the Mets after that. I could be wrong about that, but I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, the Braves are 96 and 58. They're exactly one game back from the Mets, who are playing the Marlins starting Tuesday night. Um, I, I think there's a lot of places we can begin with the Braves, but let's just start generally um, with some good things. Bryce Elder on Monday night was electric. Complete game shutout. Braves have won three of his last four starts. He's only allowed two runs. Bryce Elder has in his last 27 and two-thirds innings pitch. Pretty good. He's got a 2.76 ERA in his eight spot starts uh, this year. And look, with, with Spencer Strider going on the IL, he's out for the rest of the regular season. Who knows if he'll come back at all. I mean, it, it's an oblique injury for Strider. So I don't know that like work, we, I don't know that I can like, and believe me, I would do this if I could. I would adjust my take from the Spencer Strider conversations earlier in the season, his workload, 
his number of innings pitched. But I just simply don't think an oblique injury happens because of too many innings pitched. You know, if it was like shoulder or if it was like arm fatigue, if it's stuff like that, stuff that Max Fried has dealt with in the past, then I would point to, well, maybe they shouldn't have pitched him for, you know, almost 200 innings. Maybe that shouldn't have happened. But that's just, that's just bad luck, I think, when it comes to Strider. They placed him on the IL on September 23rd, last Friday. So up comes Bryce Elder, and he does the job, doesn't he? Damn, Monday night, he was really good. Marcelo Zuna with another home run on Monday night. In his last 12 games, Ozuna, so 12 games in the month of September, he's played sitting 333, 381 on base, 564 slug with two homers and seven RBIs. So he's starting to come around a little bit, and, and this could be a role for Ozuna if he's playing twice a week. I'm cool with that. I like that. Nobody liked him playing five, six days a week. But if you're telling me like he's a guy off the bench in the playoffs with a little pop, I'm okay with that. We just got to get him an Uber ride home. That's the only problem. So Ozuna's starting to pick it up. Uh, Ronald Acuna, not great on Monday night. But look, the Braves, when, when Ronald Acuna is in the lineup, the Braves are a different baseball team. We've talked a lot about Acuna's quote-unquote struggles this season. He's still putting together an above-average Major League Baseball season. We're just used to Ronald Acuna being a world beater, and he hasn't been that this year. But listen to this stat. Like this, this, to me, tells it all. With Ronald Acuna in the lineup, the Braves are 78-34. and 34. 78-34 and 34 with Ronald Acuna in the lineup. And not a math guy, but that means without him in the lineup, they're 18-24. and 24. So they're six games under 500 when he's not in the lineup. And they are 44 games over 500 when he's in the lineup. I mean, do you need to hear anything else about how important he is to this baseball team? I don't think so. I mean, that, that, those numbers are undeniable. And so while it is frustrating sometimes to watch some of Acuna's at-bats this year, and I say frustrating, it's not frustrating, it's, 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 we're not used to it. We're not used to watching him uh, have this kind of season. But again, if this is the floor for Ronald Acuna, like if this is as bad of a season you know, as he'll have in his career, then you're talking about a Hall of Fame player. So I think, like, you know, regardless of what his stats are, and his stats are solid, the stat that matters is the wins and losses. And with him in the lineup, they're 78 and 34. What about Michael Harris? What a season this guy's had. He did not debut until the 47th game of the season. And he's going to have a 2020 campaign. He has 20 stolen bases and 19 homers. Right now, does Michael Harris. He's looking to become the 14th rookie in Major League Baseball history to record a 2020 season. 20 homers, 20 stolen bases. And he didn't come up till the 47th game. Crazy. I think with Strider going on the injured list, 
Michael Harris has a shot now to, to be the rookie of the year. I, I, I say he has a shot. He might be the favorite now. You know, he might be the favorite. I, like Strider's only, his injury comes so late in the season that maybe it's not going to play a role as to who wins the rookie of the year. But I would expect both of those guys to be 1-2 in some kind of order uh, in the National League Rookie of the Year voting. The Braves, uh, a little off the field action, on Monday they visited the White House and President Joe Biden welcomed them to the White House. Uh, I'm going to play a clip for you guys now of Biden talking about the Braves. A little joke from Joe E.B. And now the Braves will be forever remembered for the unstoppable, joyful run that this team made last year. And I would say improbable run at the time. It was a rough start. Play Grandries, all-star break, not one day of a winning record, given a 0.4% chance of winning on CNN. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I, I listen to all the percentages on CNN. You know. My batting average isn't nearly as good anyway. But the franchise never quit, never gave in. You rebuild the whole outfield practically overnight, play by play, inning by inning, you grind, you ground it out, and you did it together. You made the playoffs and beat the Braves, the, the Brewers and the Dodgers. And then you beat the Astros to win it all, forever known as the upset kings of October. <laughs> One of the greatest, one of the history's greatest turnarounds. First title in 26 years. But none of it came easy. People counted you out. Heck, I, I, I know something about being counted out. And, uh, and I know in Georgia, you show up when it counts. All right, so there is uh, Joe Biden talking about the Atlanta Braves, making a few jokes, cracking himself up, I can tell. Uh, what are the chances that Joe Biden wrote that himself? What are the chances that he came up with that himself? I'm going to guess pretty slim. I'm going to guess pretty slim. Um, but anytime you can knock CNN, that, that gets played, that gets laughs. Uh, the best place to be when you're making jokes is to be the president of the United States because everyone in the crowd, they don't have a choice. They have to laugh. They have to laugh. So that to me is the funnier part of it all is the... Uh, the uproar of laughter in the crowd when uh, comedian Joe Biden takes to the podium. Uh, the Braves starting Kyle Muller Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night, Jake Odorizzi. And then looks like you'll probably have Kyle Wright, Max Fried, Charlie Morton for the three-game series against the Mets. I don't know about in that order. I'm not sure about the order of which they're going to start, but it looks like those three guys will be able to start Max Free, Charlie Morton, and Kyle Wright. Um, and without Strider, it looks like probably those are your three, those are your go-to guys, your go-to starters come the postseason. And so I think if the Braves are going to enter the postseason without Strider, which I'm not sure is the case, but if they are, then that would be a great, a great measuring stick Heading into October for the Bravos against the Mets. Again, a huge series this weekend um, up there in Atlanta. Weather 
pending. All right, let's talk some college football now. We'll start with Georgia. Uh, then we'll hit Georgia Southern. Then we'll hit Savannah State. And then we'll hit Georgia Tech. All right, let's start with Georgia. 39-22 win over Kent State. Um, I wrote my Connect Savannah column this week. You can check that out on connectsavannah.com on Wednesday. Uh, I wrote my column about how this past week and the reaction from Georgia fans to a 17-point win over Kent State brought me back to the good old days of being a Georgia fan. Brought me back to the Mark Rick era a little bit where you know nobody hates the Georgia Bulldogs more than Georgia Bulldogs fans. And I think that last Saturday was a great, great example of that. A 17-point win, and you would have thought the world was ending in Athens. You would have thought the sky was falling, the hedges were burning, and the football program in Athens was being disbanded because they won by 17 points. 17-point win, and all I heard was complaints. What's wrong with Georgia? Is Georgia vulnerable? Did Kent State expose Georgia? The answer to all of this is no, simply no. Here's, here's the underlying and the main point that I want to make here. If you think that 18 to 22-year-old college football players get up for every game, that they treat every game the same, then you're a wacko. You're living in a fantasy world. Ideally, in a utopian college football, you would hope that whether they're playing Kent State or whether they're playing Alabama, that the Georgia football players would be equally as locked in. But that's not true. And if you, if, if, like, you just think about it logically, that's the case. That's, like, that's very obvious. Okay, so was Georgia ready to play Kent State? Were they locked in? Did they play A-plus? No. And that's because they were playing Kent State at noon in Athens, and they've kicked everyone's ass all year. So, of course, they were bound to have a game like this. The thing is that they won this game easily despite playing what I would grade them out as uh, they played C-minus. C-minus football. Kent State, on the other hand, probably played A-minus. Maybe even A+. Now, I'm not going to do the thing that Kirby Smart does where we treat Kent State like they're the greatest team on earth just because they won the MAC last year. That's not the case. I think if you line Georgia up against Kent State next week, that Georgia probably does win by 30. But there's no reason to come out of that game and to start trying to make conclusions about Georgia because of what they did against Kent State. Do you know what they did? They turned the ball over four times. And they did not punt once. And they won by 17 points. Everything is fine. No need to panic. Georgia is now 26-2 in non-conference games under Kirby Smart. Um, other records under Smart of note here, they're 25-1. and one. In September games under Smart, they are 33-4 and four in Sanford Stadium. Um, Stetson Bennett was not great. On Saturday, 27 of 36, 
for 272 yards. His first interception of the season came in that game against Kent State, and it was a bad throw. I mean, it was an objectively bad throw. A little post route across the middle, and the Georgia receiver was never open. Um, it's the first time in a while that I've seen Bennett do what he used to do in his first stint to Georgia, which was lock into a receiver, and everyone in the stadium knows where he's about to throw the ball. That's kind of what he did. He got a little greedy. Um, but again, I, I, I don't think that... Like, if this happened, if Stetson Bennett had that kind of a game, which again, not bad, 27 of 36, 272 and a pick, but if he had that kind of a game 365 days ago... We'd be calling for JT Daniels. I would be, at least. That's the difference between this Georgia team and Georgia teams of the past. They've already proven that they can do this with this quarterback under this coach, under these coordinators. And so there's no need to panic. If this was last year, then I would say it still wouldn't be a time to panic. But there would be some things that would be worrisome. And look, you might not agree with me, but I think Kirby Smart agrees with me. If you listen to Kirby Smart after the Kent State game, he, he, like, there were some negatives, but I saw headlines where it was like Kirby Smart not happy about Georgia's performance. I didn't get that takeaway. He sounded like he was defending his guys in the press conference. Let's hear what Kirby had to say. This is Saturday afternoon after Georgia's win against Kent State. Well, I didn't talk anything about us from that past half. I told them I thought they played really hard, really physical, and they played a really good football team. And when you're honest with your team, they believe you. Like when you walk in on Monday and you say, hey, this team's really good. They might be better than what we played. We got practice well. And then they go practice well. Like I, they listen. And after the game, you're not going to go back and say, well, God, guys, this team stinks. You know, I'm not. I'm not. Just, that's a good football team. They won their conference last year. They got a really good conference. They played two other ranked teams really tough. I mean, I got a lot of respect for Kent State and the coach and the coaching job they do. So uh, I'm not down about our guys. If you turn the ball over four times, you go be in ball games like that. So we got we to prevent that first. How important was it though to be able to, to deal with the adversity this early in the season so that you can continue to grow? Well, I'm glad we had some adversity. You know, you could probably argue it wasn't enough. I mean, you still had, you know, whatever, two point, ten point lead there. I mean, the adversity to me is overcoming those turnovers and going out and making stops. So I like that. I like that from Kirby Smart. All week, last week, he's preaching about how good Kent State is. So if he comes in the locker room after the game and says, man, you guys only won by 17, if he does what the fans are doing, what happened to, what happened to us? Why didn't we beat this team by 40 points? Then everything he said last week becomes just an outright lie. If Kent State is good, as Kirby Smart has said over and over again, then Georgia having four turnovers and still winning by 17 points is not that bad. And again, zero punts in the game. Brock Bowers continues to be, I think, one of the best players in the country at any position, period. Um, he's become sort of like a hybrid running back. Uh, He's got 15 catches for 276 yards this season, but he had another rushing touchdown on Saturday, and it was the, I think it was the first play from scrimmage. It was on the first drive for sure. He's become their main go-to weapon. Uh, Georgia had a little off-the-field trouble 
Clark County police rearing its ugly head again and giving cornerback, uh, I don't remember his first name, Bullard, Jermaine Bullard, maybe? Anyway, Bullard, um, for Georgia, uh, reserve defensive back, got a DUI. I think he had a .02 blood alcohol level. .02. If an Alabama player is driving around in Tuscaloosa with a .02 BAC and the Tuscaloosa police pull him over, the Tuscaloosa police would A, probably ask for the player's autograph, and then B, probably give him an escorted ride home. They'd probably follow him home uh, and, and get him safely back to his house. But no, 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 no. Not in Clark County. It's almost like the police up there get off on, on arresting Georgia players. Not, not defending the DUI, by the way. But, I mean, it is pretty wild how often that happens in Athens when we all know that that's happening in every single college town across America. But hey, they got to get their bread somehow, don't they? Um, I thought this was interesting. So Georgia this week at Missouri, they're 28-point favorites. They're going to crush Missouri. Uh, that's a 7.30 game. Then they get Auburn, 3.30. Then they get Vandy. Then Florida. Then Tennessee. So four games before they play Tennessee on November 5th. And Georgia, as a program, all-time wins. They are 11th all-time with 857 wins. They're three games behind Southern Cal and Tennessee, who are tied for ninth all-time with 860 wins. So there's a chance. Now, I don't know that Tennessee is going to lose before they play Georgia. I think they would have to lose twice, if my math is correct. But there's a chance that November 5th, when Georgia plays Tennessee, that they will overtake Tennessee in terms of all-time wins, and Georgia would move into the top 10 for program wins all-time. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that it could happen against Tennessee. Uh, and again, Georgia, only three games behind them, 857 wins all-time. Tennessee has 860. All right, let's move on from Georgia now and talk about Georgia Southern. They won 34 to 23 over Ball State, and it was a game in which Georgia Southern trailed. They trailed in the fourth quarter, um, but they came back, took care of business. They're now three and one, and they're getting ready for their first Sun Belt Conference game against Coastal Carolina, 4 p.m. this Saturday. Georgia Southern, a 10-point underdog, and that game is on ESPN Plus. Um, I have some notes about this game against Ball State, and then I want to talk a little about Coastal Carolina. But Georgia Southern in the fourth quarter has been dominant this year. I'm going to tell you how dominant they've been in just a second, but let's hear from Clay Helton about what it takes to be great in the fourth quarter. This is Clay Helton on Monday afternoon in Statesboro. 
Yeah, I think you have to practice situational football, and that's what we've done in both training camps as well as we do each and every week. We put our kids in the exact situations that we feel that are needed to win close tight ball games. Which, you know, when you play in this this conference and, and how elite the teams are, they're going to be close games, and it's going to come back down to your standard of play and your execution in the fourth quarter. You know, just an absolute great example is, you know, we we work sky punt so much and, and how much of a weapon that can be and all of a sudden you down that ball on the nine yard line defense gets a three and out now you're sitting with the ball inside the 50 yard line that situational mastery for your offense leads to a touchdown leads to the opportunity to, to go ahead and take the lead so you know every situation matters and if you don't put your kids in that situation then you know shame on you as a coach so not only is it just running plays running schemes running systems more importantly it's kids understanding what to do especially in those critical moments all right, so there's Clay Helton talking about the fourth quarter prowess from Georgia Southern so far this season. Listen to these numbers. Score by quarters for Georgia Southern through five games, or through four games, I should say. They're 3-1, and 0-0 oh oh in the Sunbelt Conference. 17-17 first quarter scoring, Georgia Southern versus its opponents. So that's dead equal. Second quarter scoring, Georgia Southern has been outscored 49 to 48. Pretty much dead even. But the third and fourth quarter, the fourth quarter especially, that's where Georgia Southern has made its mark. And that's a radical shift from the Chad Lunsford Eagles. In the third quarter, Georgia Southern outscoring opponents 35 to 17 so far. In the fourth quarter, Georgia Southern has outscored its opponents 59 to 24. So the most points for Georgia Southern this season in any quarter has come in the fourth quarter. That's the kind of thing that Chad Lunsford always preached. That was one of their um, you know, staples in terms of the uh, quote-unquote plan to win, was win the fourth quarter. The problem is that Georgia Southern rarely did that under Lunsford. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not saying it's his fault. It's not a slide on Lunsford. That just wasn't who they were. That wasn't who Georgia Southern was. This year, they have been that team. 59-24 to 24 in the fourth quarter is awesome. Awesome. Kyle Van Treese has been, I think, good, not great for Georgia Southern so far. But he's going to break, and, we, and look, we all knew this when the offense shifted. He's going to break every single season passing record and Georgia Southern history, and he's going to do so probably in the near future. Uh, he's going to shatter all these records. Um, and again, like I think that's going to keep happening over the next three, four, five, six years, especially if Helton stays around, um, that we're going to see all these records rewritten just because Georgia Southern has been a running offense for so long that they're passing, their all-time passing records are not, you know, they're not that formidable. He's got 1,290 passing yards so far, Van Trees does. That's eighth all-time in terms of single-season passing yards. He only needs 563 more yards to become the number one passer in single-season history in Georgia Southern history. 563 more yards to pass Antonio Hinton. So... This week at Coastal Carolina, I doubt that'll happen. I don't think Van Treese is going to throw for 563. Uh, if he does, Georgia Southern's going to win. 
there's a hot take for you. But then after that, at Georgia State on October 8th, 2 p.m. game, that's probably where Van Trees will do that. And if not then, then certainly at home against Jimmy Madison on October 15th. That's a 4 p.m. kick against James Madison. So Van Trees is rapidly approaching those records, and that's pretty, pretty incredible. Georgia Southern averaging 39.8 points per game. Um, which is really good. Uh, on third downs, here's another thing that they've been really good at that they weren't great at under Lunsford. Third down conversions, they're 40 of 66. That's 61%. Hello, that'll do. 61% on third downs is really, really solid. Now, this week against Coastal Carolina, this is going to tell me a lot. Again, 4 p.m. kickoff. ESPN Plus uh, up there in Conway, South Carolina. It's not Myrtle Beach. Don't let them lie to you. It's not Myrtle Beach. If you've ever been to Conway, South Carolina, you can confirm that ain't Myrtle Beach, folks. Might as well be Garden City. That's what it looks like. That's what it reminds me of. Garden City, Georgia. So the Eagles are heading to Conway to play Coastal Carolina, one of their biggest rivals. And I think that what Georgia Southern has going for it, the best thing Georgia Southern has going for it right now is their offensive line. Their offensive line has been really, really good. We expected it, I think, coming into the year for that to be a strength, finally, because the last three or four years it has been the opposite of a strength, uh, which I believe is a weakness. Last week against Ball State, all five offensive linemen for Georgia Southern Played all 81 snaps. Think about that. All five offensive linemen played all 81 snaps. Do you remember how often Georgia Southern was rotating guys, at t- especially at tackle, under Lunsford? And that wasn't because they, they thought they had depth. That was because they thought they didn't have a lot of guarantees up front. And so they're trying to rotate guys in to try to find, you know, a five-man group that can work together and they just never were able to find it. I think very clearly they found it now. And so Georgia Southern going to go play Coastal this weekend. I wanted to think out loud about this just for one minute. Um, if we know that App State is the number one rival to Georgia Southern, and I think that's a mutual thing, right? App State would consider Georgia Southern to be its biggest rival. Georgia Southern would consider App State to be its biggest rival. Okay, so that's a mutual rivalry. Uh, despite what Georgia State says, um, and those fans up there are, uh, like, they are the most self-conscious fans of all time. I mean, they take everything so personally. Um, and and it's, it's as if they don't ever look at the win-loss record. Like, do you not see that you're 0-4? If my team was 0-4, I think I'd probably mute the notifications on Twitter. I think I'd probably tweet a little less. You're 0-4. Maybe get a dub on the board before you start tweeting out pictures of your stadium and and defending your team and and all this stuff. You're 0-4, pal. You're 0-4. 
But we know that Georgia State's the number two rival to Georgia Southern. So I want to ask this. Is Coastal Carolina the third? Is that, is that what Georgia Southern fans consider or view Coastal Carolina as? Because I do think, look, we knew when Jamie Chadwell took over that program at CCU, we knew that they were going to have a come up. Not necessarily because of him exclusively, but because that, th- there was always potential for that program you know, to become one of the elite teams in the Sun Belt. And look, th- whether you like it or not, that's what they had become. Now, it might be because they have an all-world quarterback in Grayson McCall, but it, like, they have become that, right? Jamie Chadwell is 3-1 against Georgia Southern. Southern went up there and beat them in 2018 um, in, in kind of a bounce-back game. I remember that game that was uh, the return of the swag game, the return of the uh, swag for Georgia Southern. Uh, but that's the only time they've beat Chadwell since he's been at Coastal. And so I would ask this for Georgia Southern fans, like if you're, it depends what you view or like what you define a rivalry as. But for me, like if we want to stop talking about the rivalry, let's talk about this. Isn't Coastal Carolina more of a measuring stick for Georgia Southern in terms of how it views itself than Georgia State? Like if I'm comparing myself and I'm Georgia Southern, if I'm comparing my program to other programs in the Sun Belt, I don't think I need to go compare myself to Georgia State. I don't think that's really much of a debate. Like, I've just always thought that Georgia State was not as close to Georgia Southern, uh, you know, in terms of program prestige, as many people like to think it is. I think Coastal Carolina is the team that Georgia Southern needs to have one eye on. Maybe even two eyes on them because quickly now, Coastal Carolina has had their ascent. And this game this weekend, I think, is going to tell me a lot about how close or how far away Georgia Southern is to the Chanticleers. All right, so interested in watching that game this weekend. What about Savannah State? We need to check in on Savannah State because uh, it's a Savannah podcast. Savannah State won last week 15-3 to over Morehouse. Uh, Morehouse is absolutely awful. 2-2 two and two overall, Savannah State is. They're 2-1 and one in the SEAC. Uh, their only loss came to Benedict, who seems to be um, you know, one of the best teams in the conference so far, at least statistically. Uh, they are probably not Albany State, but they're probably either one or two right there with Albany State. Jaden Adams from Islands High School leads Savannah State in rushing and in passing. Um, So that's pretty cool. Other stats of note for Savannah State, they are minus seven in the turnover margin. That's dead last. That's 13th in the SEAC. So dead last there. It's not so much, um, like I don't think for Savannah State that it's as much of a problem as what it looks like. Like when you see turnover margin and you see minus seven, that, that would tend to tell you that there's a major problem there. I just think they have to get more takeaways. And they're not turning it over at a super significant rate. Um, on Saturday in that 15-3 win, it was just a really ugly game. I think Morehouse only had like 130 yards of offense. There were 19 total penalties called in that game. 
Savannah State was flagged for 10 of them. 10 penalties in a game, and you won by 12 points. Um, that's solid. So this weekend against Kentucky State, another awful team coming into Ted Wright Stadium. But it's a SEAC game, and it's a chance for Savannah State to move to 3-1 and one in the conference. Kentucky State is 0-4 and 0-1. And and I believe they're still running an option offense up there at KSU. Saturday at 6 p.m. at Ted Wright Stadium, uh, Savannah State and Kentucky State. So good luck to the Tigers there. They're going to try to move to 3-1 and one within the conference. Uh, what about Georgia Tech, man? Georgia Tech. Geoff Collins, Jeff Collins, fired at Georgia Tech. So was Rick Stansberry, their athletic director. Um, and I don't have a lot of takes on this. I, I, I would ask this. As a Georgia fan, myself, I've asked him, I've kind of contemplated this over the last 48 hours. Um, and I want to ask you, the listener, if you're a Georgia fan, think about this for a second and see if you can come up with an answer. Is there a human being on planet Earth that Georgia Tech could hire. Now, forget about like who is possible for them to hire. Let's just hypothetically allow ourselves to think every single person on earth is a candidate for Georgia Tech's head coaching job. Is there anybody that they could hire that would worry you as a Georgia fan? Is there any coach that Georgia Tech could hire that would make you as a Georgia fan think to yourself, hmm, I don't like that. I, don't, I think Georgia Tech could, could have a come up under this guy. Because when they hired Jeff Collins, you certainly weren't thinking, if you're a Georgia fan, oh my God, we have to worry about this now, like Georgia Tech. They might be coming up on our heels in a couple years. I don't think anybody was thinking that. And I can't really think of a name that would scare me if I'm a Georgia fan. But there are a couple, I, I, I think, that would at least warrant a little tiny bit of concern, but Georgia Tech is so far behind Georgia, and it's happened quickly, man. Like, five years ago, remember Kirby Smart lost to Georgia Tech in his first year, also lost to Vandy, but he lost to Georgia Tech in his first year. Think about how far the gap has, how much the gap has been widened since that time, and guess why that's happened? Because of Kirby Smart, because of the coaching hire at Georgia. So is there anyone that Georgia Tech could hire to now close that gap? I don't think so. But if Deion Sanders were to get the job, that would concern me a little bit. If Urban Meyer were to get the job, that would concern me a little bit as a Georgia fan. I don't think either one of those two things are happening. Like, I really, really, really don't think either one of those two things would happen. But that, that is how I would, that, that is what would worry me. I think those two names, that, that's what would worry me. And outside of that, I'm not sure there's anyone on planet Earth that Georgia Tech could hire that would make Georgia fans nervous or even acknowledge the hire. So Georgia Tech going through the coaching search now. Um, they begin the process pretty early on in September, so they should have their pick of the litter as far as who is available in the coaching carousel. Okay, let's take a break for a second and tell you guys about John Carr. John Carr, the number one realtor in the Savannah area and a sponsor here on the Hot Grits podcast. 
Call or text John today if you have any questions about the real estate market, if you're buying or if you're selling, and he can help you out. He's with Seaport Real Estate. Uh, he's won the Realtor of the Month like a thousand times. Uh, he would win it twice in a month if that was possible, uh, but he is a good sponsor here for us. So he supports us. You guys support him, and he'll help you out with your real estate needs. 912-228-0916. 912-228-0916. You can check out John Carr on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Call or text him today for your real estate needs in the Savannah area and tell him the Hot Grits Podcast sent you. 912-228-0916. John Carr, Realtor. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen is the best Southside Savannah restaurant for lunch and dinner, and they are a sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Check out Sweet Potatoes and owner Steve Magulias today, 531 Stevenson Avenue. They're open on Mondays, 11 to 3 p.m., Thursday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. It's the best Southern food you can find, great service, great quality food, um, and, and just overall a good experience. I cannot recommend sweet potatoes enough. And if you're from Savannah or if you've been in this area for a while, I'm sure you already know about sweet potatoes and, and the kind of food that they have and the kind of reputation that they have, but it's just good quality food, good quality service. They're at 531 Stevenson Avenue. If you want to call ahead your order, you can do so at 912-352-3434. 912-352-3434. You can also check them out on Facebook. Thank you to Sweet Potatoes Kitchen for being a sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. All right, I want to talk some NFL. I want to talk some high school football. But there was a funny clip uh, with NBA training camps opening this week. There was a funny clip coming out of the Brooklyn Nets organization. They signed the Nets did um, Markeith Morris, um, who, you know, basketball fans will know that name. Uh, Markeith Morris has been around for a while and is a really good scorer from the forward spot. Uh, and, and I think the kind of guy that maybe Brooklyn needed last year, uh, who brings a little bit of toughness and, and not as much prima donna as they have, and they certainly have enough prima donnas out there in Brooklyn, but Markeith Morris was asked about the Kevin Durant situation with the Nets and about how Kevin Durant, you know, and, and that relationship might have soured with the Nets because of Durant's request to be traded. Um, and obviously we know that since then Durant has backed off of that and said that he's committed to the Nets and he's staying in Brooklyn. But this was too good not to share. Let's listen to what Markeith Morris had to say about Kevin Durant's relationship with the Nets. Oh man, just, that's the NBA, man. Um, you break up with a girlfriend, you get back with her. Same <laughs> Same <laughs> You have your differences until you figure it out. Does yeah. it work? Yeah, I mean, broke up with my wife a couple times, we still married. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Uh, you know, sometimes you need space to figure some things out. This works, you know? How good is that? How good is that? That was way too good not to share. I thought that was super funny. Uh, my wife and I have broken up several times, and we're still married. That's how that shit works. Well said, Markeef. Well said. The Falcons got on the board this week with a win. Falcons are now 1-2. and two. They beat Seattle up there in Seattle, and they beat uh, 
mighty Geno Smith in the process. Atlanta won 27-23 to despite being outgained in total yards. Seattle had 420 yards in total, uh, and Atlanta 386. Uh, another stat of note, Atlanta only ran 54 plays to Seattle's 69 plays, so that's nice for Seattle. Um, this is the kind of game that the Falcons, I don't think, expect to win with this roster. They don't expect to win a game where they're outgained in total yards, where they, where they uh, you know, have far less plays than Seattle did. But I thought there were a couple of stats that are interesting coming out of this game. On third down, Seattle was 9 of 17. So Seattle faced, like that's a good clip. But they had 17 third downs. That means you're just dinking and dunking your way down the field, and that's really tough to do. That's really not sustainable in the league, in the NFL. Uh, Atlanta, meanwhile, four of seven on third downs. Atlanta only had seven third down opportunities in the game. That's awesome. That means you're getting first downs on first and second down, and I've always said that. That's the mark of a good offense. Can you avoid the third and four? So on second and seven, can you go ahead and pick up that first down, keep the chains moving, and you don't have to worry about the stress that comes with third and medium, third and long, or even third and short. If you can avoid third downs altogether, uh, you know, football guys take here. If you can avoid third downs, you're doing good. How about that analysis? That's what you come to the Hot Grits podcast for. Cordero Patterson had a game. He's good. 17, 141, and one tutty for Cordero Patterson. Uh, last week, we talked about Arthur Smith's, um, you, you know, smug Arthur Smith. I'm going to start calling him Arthur Smug because he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, no matter what room he's in. Um, he thinks that he's Tom Landry, thinks that he's uh, Mike Ditka, thinks that he's Bill Belichick, but really he's just Arthur Smug, who's been doing this for like less than 20 games in his career as a head coach. And he still has the nerve to talk down to the media. This isn't fantasy football. We're trying to win the game. Well, maybe, like we said last week, if you try to get your best player the ball often, maybe that helps you win, Art. And so guess what they did? They targeted Kyle Pitts three times in the opening drive. After last week, they targeted him three times the entire game. Pitts ended up with five catches for 87 yards. Um, and so I think as much as Arthur Smith wanted to, you know, wanted to tell the media about how football works, um, he came out and did exactly what the media and the fans were asking about last week. And guess what? It resulted in a Falcons win. How about that? How about that, Arthur? Atlanta is going to take on Cleveland this week. They are one and a half point underdogs Atlanta is at home against the Browns who as we know do not have Deshaun Watson um, but you know they're still a pretty good football team in my opinion that's at 1 p.m. on October 2nd this Sunday Um, after that the Falcons will travel to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers Um, so the Falcons now one and two uh, with a win under their belt so at least they're not going to go winless We know that at least. All right, elsewhere in the NFL during week three, the Dolphins, baby, my Dolphins, they're 3-0. 
They're one of only two unbeaten teams in the NFL, along with the Philadelphia Eagles. That was such a crazy game against the Bills uh, for the Dolphins on Sunday. Tua's, uh, are we going to call it a back injury? Tua's back injury, not a concussion, back injury, late in the first half caused Teddy Bridgewater to come into the game, uh, who is tough to watch. I can't watch a quarterback that wears a glove on the throwing hand. I just can't do it. It's like, uh, it's like in basketball when you see the guys wearing an undershirt with the sleeves. Like, so it's not a cutoff. It's just like a white tee with sleeves. That, to me, doesn't do it. I can't have my quarterback wearing a glove on the throwing hand. I certainly can't have him wearing two gloves while he's playing quarterback. But Tua came back in the game in the second half. Uh, you know the rest of the story. Crazy ending of that game. The butt punt. The butt punt by the Dolphins uh, is going to go down in Miami Dolphins lore. I think it went from being possibly one of the biggest negative plays, like the, one of the craziest bad plays in Dolphins history, to now it's like sort of a rallying cry. Sort of a rallying cry, the butt punt. Um, and, and look, I tell you, the Dolphins are definitely for real now. It's crazy to think the only two undefeated teams in the NFL are both being quarterbacked by Alabama Crimson Tide quarterbacks, and they're both uh, in offenses that feature a former Alabama wide receiver, Jalen Waddell in Miami, Devonta Smith in Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, and Tua Tungabailoa in Miami. That's an interesting parallel, I thought. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know if the Eagles and Dolphins are the two best teams in the NFL. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're not. Um, but I, I think it shows that once again, the NFL is always going to have kind of what college football just doesn't have right now, and that's parity. To be three weeks in and to only have two teams left undefeated, I think you can look at that two different ways, but I think that's a positive for the NFL, and that's exactly what it wants. The Dolphins are on a short week. They'll start week four action against the Bengals Thursday night on Prime Video. So that's how week four We'll start um, this week also in the NFL. I think they announced Rihanna is the halftime show this year for the Super Bowl. Um, I'm cool with that. She's easy to look at, that's for sure. I did think for a couple of minutes uh, when I first read, heard about the news, I thought that it would, I don't know, like I heard the name Rihanna, but I thought for it was Shakira. And Shakira is even easier to look at than Rihanna. Not a fan of the music, but I would definitely stay around for halftime for either one of those two performers. Um, and it's weird talking about pretty girls by myself on a microphone, so I'll move on from that. Um, all right, let's talk a little high school football. All right, each week when I talk high school football, I'm going to tell you guys about Prep Sports Report, prepsportsreport.com is the number one place to get local sports news in Savannah. Um, I do a lot of writing for Prep Sports Report. Carl Damasi, our guy, runs the thing along with Stephen Weeks, and it is 100% free to read. And it has everything from quick stories about individual players in all sports, um, basically at all levels, from youth sports to high school sports. Um, and then it also has, we have game stories from football games, so we're at roundups of every single game. So if you want to know what happened 
last week in high school football. If you want to know if BC won, prepsportsreport.com, your place to go. Uh, this week, the schedule has been radically changed around. No Friday night lights this week. It'll be Wednesday night lights. A lot of games uh, that were scheduled for Friday have been postponed to a later date, but a lot of them have been moved up to Wednesday or Thursday night. So uh, of note on Wednesday night, Long County and Savannah Christian, uh, those, are two un- or those are two teams there in Region 3-3A that have... Uh, a lot to play for. Savannah Christian lost a heartbreaker to Calvary Day um, last week, but I, I think there's that Savannah. If you're Savannah Christian, they have every right to believe that they're going to win out in Region Three Three A from here on out and, and solidify that number two seed, uh, which is huge in the state playoffs because you get home field advantage. So that Region Three Three A playoff race is going to heat up, and that starts with Long County and Savannah Christian at Pooler Stadium. Uh, another game in that same region, Wednesday night, Beach and Country Day. Uh, and then I believe that most other games, you know, with, with the bigger teams in the area have been pushed back to later dates, uh, including BC, New Hampshire, that was going to be a big game. And then Calvary and Johnson have also pushed back their game. So I'm going to give you guys my Savannah 6, my top 6 teams in the Savannah area this week. You can always find my Savannah 6 each Saturday on the Read Option newsletter through ConnectSavannah.com. Sign up there on ConnectSavannah.com slash newsletters. Uh, You enter your email and then you'll get it in your inbox every Saturday. So my top 6, starting at number 6, Johnson. Number 5, Richmond Hill. Number 4, New Hampstead. Number three, Savannah Christian. Number two, Benedictine. And number one, Calvary Day. Calvary up to number three in the AJC's Class 3A poll. Benedictine up to number six, I believe, in the Class 4A poll. So again, my Savannah six, Calvary, BC, Savannah Christian, New Hampstead, Richmond Hill, and Johnson. Check out Prep Sports Report for all the action this week, um, including on Thursday. We'll get you guys squared away on what happened Wednesday night, especially in those two games that we just talked about. All right, that's it for today. I'm going to get out of here. We will see you guys next week. I'll be live at Coach's Corner on Monday afternoon, um, so a little bit of a different episode next week. You'll still be able to hear the audio-only version on Tuesday, like always, but um, if you want to watch it live, if you want to watch me record Hawkridge Podcast live next week, check it out on Coach's Corner's Facebook page. Until then, until episode 135, stay safe, wash your hands, you filthy animals.
commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy. Give him a call, 912-484-5282.